Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This crowd rises to its feet. Picaro slammed it home. Garland left wing. Three ball. Perfect. Garland in front of the lane. Lobbed the Mobley. Pow. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Pow with the left hand and a foul. We made it. The Cavs season is finally here. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I am your host, Justin Rowan. The Chase Down is presented by Fubo TV. Watch over 100 channels of live sports and TV for half the cost of cable. There's no contract and no commitment. Try for free at FuboTV.com. It is season preview time for the Cleveland Cavaliers for the 2023-2024 season. I could not be more excited. Cavs basketball is starting tomorrow if you're watching live on YouTube. Big shout out to everyone watching live. And today, if you are listening on the podcast and joining me today is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Just found out my my home has sprung a leak, uh, water dripping from my ceiling. Uh, so that's not good news. So uh, this pod is now actually a uh, a plumbers in the, in the uh, northern uh, Columbus uh, suburb preview pod. Uh, <laughs> so if, 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 you got, if you got a good one, hit us up in the comments. Yeah, if you are a plumber in Columbus and you are watching, uh, just, you know, drop your contact information in the chat. Carter will send his address in reply uh, publicly, and you can just show up you know, right when, we done, uh, when we're finished recording. Yeah, really. I mean, the sooner we fix it, the better. So, you know, yeah, please, please. Yeah. <laughs> Carter's house is not the only thing uh, that that is in need of some repairs. Uh, We got an injury update for the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, for Wednesday's game, Wednesday's season opener. Uh, Jared Allen is out uh, with that uh, bone bruise that he's dealing with in the foot. Um, Seems like he's been doing some light work in practice, but JB did mention uh, that they don't anticipate uh, him playing in the game without a full practice, uh, which I I think at this time you you can kind of use some... um, this logical thinking there of, okay, they're in Brooklyn. They're going to be traveling back after that game. And then they have a back-to-back possible that we don't see him until next week at the earliest, uh, obviously speedy recovery due Jared Allen. Uh, Dean Wade is doubtful with an illness and Darius Garland is listed as questionable with the hamstring injury. Although I think we should probably note uh, by, by the videos, the Cavs posted uh, Garland was participating in practice today and he was available uh, to the media, uh, which is that interview is up on the Cavs YouTube channel. He talked about playing tomorrow against the Nets a lot. So I'm crossing my fingers right now. And, and I, I feel like the signs are pointing towards him playing. Yeah, cross them fingers and toes. Uh, I I don't think my my little heart could could handle it. Um, but you know, such such is life. You know, uh, this is the this is why you talk a big game about adding depth all off season, and uh, that depth might get tested as soon as game one. Well, it already is. I mean, we know Jarrett's out, um, and we know that the backup five was a challenge for for this team last year in the sense that. They didn't have one. They felt like they could play meaningful minutes. Um, they went out and added Damian Jones. They added George Niang at the backup four. Like they should have more tools in their disposal to deal with these kind of losses without it, you know, wiping them out. And it's kind of just time to put that to the test. Now, if Darius doesn't play that, that's just a bummer. You know, having yeah. you know three seasons in a row in some form or fashion messed up by by beginning of the year injuries, but you know, that that's basketball. That's life. You know, you don't just, you don't just get like luck is injury. Luck isn't one of those things where you can just like wave your, wave your hands and like hope that it's perfect. It's just like, it is what it is. And I think the Cavs are better equipped to deal with it this year than they were last year. Yeah. I mean, while we're on the subject of doing a season preview, I think it's important to remember that it's always when injuries happen, not if injuries happen. And like you said, the, the Cavs are better equipped to handle that. Um, I, I think when it comes to Darius's status and, and him being listed as questionable, uh, it's important to remember the kind of the, the, the state of the NBA right now, especially with legalized gambling in, in a lot of states. Um, they will list guys as questionable if there's even a 1% chance that they miss, uh, because if it's not disclosed, well, we saw fines ha- uh, handed out last year. Uh, there's a new policy in place about having multiple stars miss a game, which the NBA defines a star as any player that has made an all-star team in the last three years. So Jared and Darius would qualify in that. So 
Uh, you know, fingers crossed that, that he uh, is healthy, but let's operate under the assumption that it's uh, Allen and Wade out uh, with Allen being out and, and Wade being doubtful. If that is the case, Carter, let, let's let's start there. Who should start uh, for the Cleveland Cavaliers on this season opener against the Brooklyn Nets? If Darius is out or if, no, if Darius playing. is playing, Dar- if uh, Darius Dean is and playing, Jared are out. If Darius is playing, you know, my first instinct was just to kind of mirror what they normally do and start Damian Jones. More I thought about it, I think unless you're really comfortable giving Damian a ton of minutes, I don't know if that works just because he and you know, you inherently land it like 20, 25 minutes just by starting most of the time. Um so short of that, I think I just go to starting either Isaac Okoro or George Niang depending on kind of what you're feeling uh, about Interesting this. Interesting that you say Okoro. Uh, can, can you elaborate on, on why you, you name him? Uh, well, I'd like them to get some stops uh, to, to start <laughs> the year. You know, um, he, he fits with that up-tempo style for the rest of, with the rest of the starters there. Um, but you're not just playing, you're not putting everything on Evan's shoulders defensively uh, in terms of being a top-end defensive talent. So I think there's something... In, to that and then on the hang front it's just like bombs away baby <laughs> that's 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 uh the the easiest pick and rolls evan's ever going to be a part of um so so i think you kind of have you can kind of go in either of those directions i wouldn't start karis i like having that playmaking coming off the bench um i don't think i would start uh, so it's, you know, it's really kind of, it comes down to Okoro or, uh, Niang for me. And I, I think I would go Okoro. Um, but you know, I, I, I think you're splitting hairs there. I think both are pretty defensible. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth kind of going over who the Nets were starting in preseason. Uh, they had Ben Simmons at point guard, uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, at shooting guard, uh, Mikhail Bridges, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith at power forward and Nick Claxton at center. Um, I do not think a lot we- of on ball juice on that lineup. Yeah, and not a lot of guys that are going to get rim pressure either, right? Uh, ben Simmons does look spry, and I think that that's you know going to be kind of one of the, the keys to look at in that particular matchup. But I, I think with Dorian Finney-Smith at power forward, you could probably get away with a guy like George Niang being out there, uh, someone that is positionally sound, that uh, you, you know uses his strength well to his advantage. Um, I, I, I might start Jones um, and just sub him out quick after three minutes and, and just kind of stagger the big from there, but I do think it's a valid point that that kind of a game plan is going to result in him playing a lot of minutes. So I, I, I like both of your suggestions and I'm interested where JB Bickerstaff's going to go with that. But you know what? This isn't just about the game one. It's about 82 games for the Cleveland Cavaliers. And I, I want to get right into it. Uh, I, I think the last piece of uh, news that, that we should mention is that there was no uh, extension for Isaac Okoro. Um, I, I think that's understandable. I, I was hoping that the, he would be locked up uh, but, you know, the, the Cavs do have a, a history of rewarding players uh, when they perform well and, and when they're deserving of contracts. And um, I, Okoro was a guy that, uh, listening to Zach Lowe's uh, podcast with Bobby Marks, they both kind of said, I expect him to, you know, just kind of ride out this season because he's someone that's going to get at least that mid-level uh, exception money uh, next summer and has the opportunity to really kind of blossom into a role. But there's a lot of new guys that have been brought into the wing rotation. So I understand both sides kind of, uh, you know, w- waiting it out and seeing what this season brings. Yeah, it kind of just feels like a classic bet on yourself type of situation where, you know, the Cavs probably offered a relatively lower number. And again, this is not source. We're, we're in speculation town here. Probably offered something that was very team friendly, as you do when you like a player. But, you not, you know, it's not one of those no brainers. Um, uh, Isaac was like, oh, I see a lot of my peers get more. I want more. Mm-hmm. And one of them is going to be right at the end of the year. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, and and uh, either the Cavs will pay more than they thought they were going to have to because they really, really, really want to retain his services or risk losing him. Or, you know, Isaac will, you know, maybe have to settle a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of the natural the you know, obviously the leverage is in the Cavs favor. Isaac's going to hit restricted free agency, assuming the Cavs are uh, tendering a qualifying offer, which I would be stunned if they did not. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it just kind of feels like a kick-the-can decision. Uh, I, I wouldn't read too much into it. A lot of guys that are in Isaac's tier of player will go to the, will hit restricted free agency because, like, for the most part, these extensions have to, eat, have to really make sense for the player 
or he's going to just go for, <laughs> he's going to try to earn more later. Yeah. And you, you know, the Cavs traded for Jarrett uh, after his kind of window to be extended. Uh, obviously the Brooklyn Nets did not extend him, but um, I, I think that's an example of a guy that hit restricted free agency where they said, you know what? We liked what you've shown. We're, we're going to pay you accordingly. We're going to pay you what you're worth. And I, I think that's a scenario uh, for Okoro as well, right? Um, you know, uh, the Cavs are fortunate uh, that they have their chairman in Dan Gilbert that's always been willing to spend and retain talent. And Okoro's upside, I mean, he does have the potential to be the best wing on this roster, right? Like when you talk about a guy, I I, I see you squinting. I, I see you not being comfortable with that. I, I will say that. that. How about that's my first bold take? I do think in terms of his upside, he does have the potential to be the best wing on this roster because he's one of the best point of attack defenders in the league. Um, he's shown that his three-point shot has improved. And if he gets that volume up, that's the one kind of true two-way guy that we have on this roster. So I'm, I'm going to stand by that, Carter. I, I, I don't like your smirking. Uh, I think you've warmed me enough to the take but via your explanation. Um, I, I think it's unlikely that he will be the best wing on the roster. I'm not saying this um, season, to be clear. I'm, um, I'm saying in terms of what he can become as a player. Sh- sure. Um, I, I, I don't hate it. I, it, it, the, the, the saying of it caught my, you know, made me, made my ears perk up, but I, I'm comfortable with it now that, now that we've sat on it for a moment. I, I'm, you know, I'm coming into this podcast, Carter. I'm, I'm not going to be sitting on the fence today. I'm coming in with bold predictions. It's more fun that way. You know, you and I, we, we tend to elaborate a ton. We go along, uh, you know, each of our kind of back and forth three minutes long with a lot of caveats. I'm going bold takes today, but let's move on from Isaac Okoro and get into kind of some of the trends that we are looking for this season. And one of the first things that I'm looking for for the Cavs this season is can the Cavs find the balance between their increased three-point volume and pace and still maintain the rim pressure that they had last year by, by utilizing the pick and roll? Uh, are they able to kind of maintain their defensive identity with the increased pace and, and three-point volume? Um, I, I think we've seen some teams kind of skew too much towards just taking three-pointers. Uh, Boston Celtics come to, to mind last season where if the shot wasn't falling, their offense really kind of could get shaky. I want to see if they can still maintain that rim pressure, if they can still go to that kind of fastball pitch that they had last season while still... Uh, adding this new style and, and the, the the new feel to their offense. Yeah, uh, and John Schumann's uh, power rankings, which are awesome, by the way. It's so nice when someone actually is paying attention uh, to what they're doing when they're writing those things. He did kind of note <laughs> that uh, a lot of the, though a lot of the Cavs' profile changed in preseason, their offensive rating wasn't that strong. Um, now, you know, I think that's a lot of just make or miss stuff. Some you know some weird lineups with some guys who probably won't be getting as many minutes as they would otherwise, but it is like worth asking if just you know it's it's not like just a guarantee that if they shoot more threes and play faster that things will be better. You know mm-hmm. there are a lot of teams that are that played faster and shot more threes than the Cavs did that didn't have um, as good of an offense last year. So I I think it's a salient question. However, I'm not terribly worried about it. Again assuming health because of two things they've added really really good players taking those shots that are really really good at taking those sorts of shots and they still have inherent downhill above the rim players in uh donovan mitchell in jared allen and evan mobley guys who do not mind uh you know finishing above the rim finishing with force um occupying the you know occupying the dunker spot at a high level Darius is a great get into the teeth dribbler. Um, I, I just feel like that's not going to be something they lose. I think they might struggle to balance every now and again, but like, I think the capability is going to remain there and nothing about their personnel kind of hurts that rim pressure in my opinion. And in some cases, I think it's going to be easier. I, you know, you always think about all the cheap layups and dunks they got setting pin down screens for Kyle Korver back in 2017 where teams were so panicked about the pin down that you could kind of slip the back door a lot easier and get more layups and dunks. So maybe the profile won't always be exactly where we want it to be from a balance perspective, but I still think their personnel, you know, like for example, like the warriors, that's a big gripe about the warriors is their, their lack of rim pressure, but Draymond is not a dive pick and roll guy. Kevon Looney is not a dive pick and roll guy. 
Jared Allen is. Right. <laughs> so, I, so like, I'm not terribly worried, I think is what I would say about that. What, do you, what are your thoughts? Not worried about it, but I, I guess the proper way to, to frame it is it's just one of those things that I'm keeping an eye on, right? Because there are going to be ebbs and flows of this season. Uh, I, I think, you know, as much as I like to get caught up and excited about the good that happens early in the year, um, I, I, I still think back to last year where we started 8-1. and one, I'm like, all right, let's pump the brakes. I know we beat Boston twice. I, I know this looks good. I know we got wins even without Darius, uh, w- with him missing so much time after Gary Trent Jr. assassinated him. Like, I, I, I still think we're going to need to get an appropriate sample size, but how quickly they're able to adjust to that. And it looks seamless. Like, it looked like there wasn't a lot of disjointed play on the defensive end because of uh, the pace that they were playing at. Um, it, I'm just interested to see what that balance is and how much of, of a give and take there is, right? While they try to find the right mix, because, you know, as much as we talk about the Cavs being 30th in pace, you get six possessions more per game. You're second in pace. Uh, when you talk about, you know, increasing three point volume, you make four more threes per game. You go from where, where the Cavs were last season, which was 19th up to third in, in makes per game, right? Like, it's not massive margins that we're talking about here. So it to your point, I, I think that gives me hope that it's not going to be a massive adjustment that leads to a lot of losses as, as a result of that. But how they find that balance and how they balance trying to be competitive and, and winning games and um, improving their standing with the developmental reps that they're going to need to have for some of their younger players as well. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notify, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Absolutely, buddy. Uh, what, what, Should we talk? Oh, what's, what's a macro trend that you're interested in? Let, let's go there. Uh, I think uh, I think we'll stick to the rundown here and, and talk about the, the kind of two guards, two bigs conundrum here. Mm-hmm. Um it, it will remain a talking point pretty much till the Cavs uh, exceed uh, playoff expectations. Probably not even meet playoff expectations, but exceed them because they're already kind of being graded on that like curve. But I do think the Max Struess signing, the George Niang signing, they are kind of taking this grouping to its logical extreme. Mm-hmm. It, it is saying on the offensive end, we think if we if our best five has three uber elite shooters, we can deal with the fact that our two bigs are not not shooters. And by the way, not to go back to the Warriors, who I really like to compare this team to for a lot of reasons, they they've done just fine with two non shooting bigs mm-hmm. uh, offensively because of how elite their gravity is elsewhere. Because and, and they were still can't. able to have you know a less than threatening shooter uh, in Andre Iguodala on the wing, right? Because the, the ball was placed in his hands and he had playmaking. And shout out to Iguodala uh, for, for retiring. I, I think Hall of Fame should be in, in his future, but uh, a, a, a worthy adversary for, for the Cavs for many, many years. Yes, he was. Those, those slap downs when LeBron would square up were brutal. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so like I feel like it's, it's kind of the logical extension of like, hey, if the offense still is too gummy, when it matters, then maybe we've got to look at some some institutional changes. And then on the defensive end, I think we're pushing it to its logical extreme, where we're saying, hey, we don't need an elite point of attack defender out here in order to in order to to play our best ball. And we're betting that Evan Mobley and Jared Allen are so freaking good on defense that all the rest of our guys have to do is do their job and play fundamental. And we will be a top six def- defense in the NBA, mm-hmm. and we're co- and and if they if their defense falls off a cliff in in the non uh, Okoro lineups in crunch time against great teams, well, that's also going to be a data point that we're going to be like, oh man, maybe this isn't tenable. So like, I think both of them are at kind of an inflection point where 
we now have both of them are kind of being pushed to their extreme and we're going to find out whether this works or not. I think that's fair. Uh, my follow-up question to you would be how much, how big does the sample size need to be before you start reading into it? I, I think that's something that we should probably kind of quantify before we head into the NBA season. I, I want to know kind of how many games you're kind of looking at b- before you start taking results. Obviously, you know, w- week by week, podcast by podcast, we're, we're going to be looking at those trends. But where do you start to feel like, okay, this is stuff that I, I can really kind of chew on and, and feel like it's a representative sample size? I'll, I'll start gathering conclusions, I think, probably pretty early in terms of just data points and starting to frame my opinion but listeners aren't going to like this but i don't think you're going to know until the end of the year i just (laughs) i think you need a full year of looking at this and by the and there will always be the challenge that judging off of a postseason is judging off a five to seven game sample size most of the time yeah and that is not typically how you want to make decisions otherwise but like it's gonna matter and i just think i think we'll i think there will be a lot of tea leaves to read over the course of the season on this but we won't really really know until we're in game planning time uh, I, I but agree even with that. then you'll never really know that's the thing that 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 makes i mean well it partly stinks but also it's part of what makes basketball so fun is we'll never know <laughs> even if they get run off the floor again we won't know if that was a if it was a scheme issue if it was a player that in that that with the right archetype that just wasn't able to meet the moment in that time uh, we'll never know if it was the the actual archetypes that were the problem. It's just you're you're always just kind of working on limited information here, and that's what front offices get the paid paid the big bucks to do is parse through all the data points, and come to a belief system on the back end. Yeah, I think people forget or or overlook just how much of a factor luck plays into it, right? Like the Miami Heat, really good team last year, but they were a uh, Max Struess like. Uh, fourth quarter explosion uh, away from losing and and missing the playoffs entirely, right? Like the the margins can be really thin there. I think for me, I like to view the game in kind of, you know, or the season in 20 game samples uh, when we get each kind of quarter of the season. But you're right. Like we're going to be able to identify some of those trends early on. And to to me, it's really interesting. So for, for any new listeners to the podcast, I am a massive believer in this core four and would like to see them continue to get an extender on much beyond this year. But I, I do think that it's interesting, right? Like I we, we try to represent every single viewpoint and then give our explanation why we believe the one that we have. And for me, like I, I do find it really interesting that if Darius Garland and Evan Mobley make the leaps that we expect them to make and we hope that they can make this season... What does that mean for their respective pairing, right? How does Darius work with Donovan? How does Mobley work with Allen, right? Because I think those the, two, the, the those two are the most more, important guys for team building, in my opinion. The core feels more fluid than it did a year ago, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Could the the core kind of? I feel like is vacillating between two and four, depending on my mood for the day. You know, <laughs> like like it feels like um, you know, like. Because something I said on Twitter recently was that I feel like Jarrett's inclusion in the core four kind of uh, almost is a disservice to him. And the idea that people feel like unless he's a 34 minute a game player, that's like a gr- providing elite center play in the postseason, then he can't be here. And I'm like, guys. He's making Zach Collins money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the, the, ex- like, the extensions uh, yesterday, uh, honestly, were a good reminder of what bargains both Jared and, uh, frankly, Darius are yeah, on. Yeah, so, uh, so but, I guess, like, what I'm saying is, like, you know, in some ways, like, this, this insistence that he must be on the floor in every matchup against all 30 teams to close games, like, maybe, I guess... I, like, I agree, but I don't. But I, I feel I, like that's getting sidetracked from my point, which is more just you know, even from an asset management standpoint. Like you are correct with what you're saying, but there are stricter uh, penalties when it comes to the salary cap, and we we have a decision to make next summer uh, about you know what Donovan Mitchell extension. Uh, that that's a, a decision that both sides obviously are going to have a big say in. Um, but when you look at it last year, like I, I just find it interesting because. There were seven lineups that the Cavs played uh, with both Mobley and Allen on the court that played at least 100 possessions, which is, frank, uh, 
the average number of possessions you get in a single game. Five of those seven lineups would have had a top two offense or better in the NBA for the, the course of the season. The only two that weren't elite on the offensive end of the court were Mitchell, Levert, Okoro, Mobley, and Allen, and Garland, Mitchell, Stevens, Mobley, and Allen. Um, but, you know, every lineup where the core four was on together was phenomenal, uh, with the exception of Lamar Stevens, but even that w- was, you know, a net positive. Uh, I think what we saw with Darius and Donovan, uh, how they played off of each other, uh, it was incredibly encouraging to me. I think it, it really highlighted how good Darius was off ball. But it's just going to be interesting to to track those lineups and, and see how it works. Uh, does the addition of more depth mean that the one big lineups were more effective? Because when you look at it last year from an offensive standpoint, the minutes of Mobley and Allen together were better than Allen alone at center or Mobley alone at center. Does that change now that we have more depth, right? Just getting more of a sample size of what exactly this core is. We know it works well together, but just as the team building process kind of comes into shape, I do think, especially if Mobley and Garland take steps forward and become even bigger parts of this team, just what the ripple effect means for for roster construction as a whole. Yeah, man, it, it is. It, I think you're right, and and I and I apologize for uh, slightly diverting uh, from. You're just from trying your to. You're just point. trying to highlight your Twitter takes. I, I see what you're doing here. Listen, man, I'm just saying. Like, I do think. Like, I just feel like I am trying. I guess what I'm trying to say is to answer your wider question of what's our sample size for takes. What I'm really trying to do is just be a little less less orthodox. I just kind of want data to flow in with less with me shaping that data a little less. I just want to see what works. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to be less concerned about what a player has to be or what a pairing has to be. It's really more like what's just going to make the team play the best. Because with the exception of a, a couple players, I just feel like this entire roster and rotation can really you know, ebb and flow quite a bit. And there's a billion justifiable ways to stack this thing. So that that is my that is my wider take you know but but ultimately i i support your methodology uh just as much as uh as zoom supports us justin <laughs> supporting this podcast and the following message come from zoom half a million businesses connect using zoom a single platform for phone chat workspaces events apps and video zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe zoom how the world connects this is it we've got an amex platinum pro on our hands ladies and gentlemen We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Justin, here's the worst part. I, with what you were saying... Did you I was, <laughs> I was I setting up the, the stream. Read. I pulled up the stream and it looked like you had left because you were hiding behind your oh, mic. Oh, I know. I'm aware. I'm aware. I, I You were setting me up perfect for the Zoom read. I was getting ready. I was ready to throw down the lob. It was so funny. I knew I was going to do a bad job and I just wanted to do it anyway. I yeah. wanted to take that from you. You didn't even dunk it yourself. You bobbled it in your hands. Oh, you converted. That was... You converted the lefty layup. So credit to you there. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm upset. I went with full you. Sam Decker in transition, baby. <sighs> Carter, Carter, I'm sorry, Carter. buddy. What, what am I going to do with you? Uh, <laughs> I, I, I just felt a little chaotic in that moment, and I actually am glad that I'm. I it was a bungled read. I, 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 I still got through what Zoom needed us to get through, but mm-hmm. I wanted to. I wanted to to throw you off your game, Carter minimum rodriguez that's what we know you, you know for. me buddy let's pivot from talking about the core four to what our biggest area of optimism is heading into this season uh for me it's just honestly it's looking at the depth that the Cavs have and just how good i feel about what this team can be in the regular season um obviously the foundation of that is the core the core that we were just talking about uh we have seen them work incredibly well together i think as long as you have three of them in the lineup Uh, As you navigate 82 games, you're going to have a good shot to win every single game. If Darius misses some time, you can survive that. If Donovan misses some time, I think you can survive that well. You can, you have Karis LeVert, you have Isaac Okor, you have Max Struess that that can, uh, you know, swap in there. 
uh, we, we saw Mobley step up better and fill in for Jared uh, when we missed him last year. I, I think you can survive Mobley injuries, right? Like, obviously, we don't want any of those to be long, but the improved depth that they have with something that's already worked so well with not as much depth makes me feel really good about what this team's going to be in the regular season. And frankly, just what we saw in preseason of J.B. Bickerstaff being willing to change up the style of play to really kind of adapt the offense to the offensive personnel that they have, all of those factors coming together just makes me feel like we are in for a very, very fun regular season. I think that I I, want to piggyback off of that by just saying that the team has done everything I asked them to do. Uh, or at least, you know, has and, and given lip service. Trust me, your voice went into consideration. That was one of the biggest uh, factors sure. of everything the front office did. But listen, how many years uh, as a fan do, do you grump about a, a certain part of the team you likes identity, <clears throat> about their roster construction, and they don't address it, and you just get grumpier and grumpier and grumpier, <laughs> and like, I feel like I was given a gift to 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 see if I was right because they signed the players I wanted them to sign. They are making stylistic changes I wanted them to make, and I believe that I know ball. I believe that I that like I you know I think my belief system you know obviously I I wouldn't be opining if I didn't think I was right. And like so I think they're doing everything to see for me to kind of find out whether like what I what I believe to be true is right. And mm-hmm. like I think that this team needed depth. I think they needed off you know, they needed spot up three point shooting. They needed movement three point shooting. They needed to play faster. They needed to take more threes. And oh, they're doing all those things, buddy. So like I think that is my number one reason for optimism because I think all the things that were holding them back last year, with the exception of some physical toughness, some rebounding uh, stuff that maybe weren't addressed, but most of the things that really bothered me about this team, you know, you haven't heard me talking a lot about rebounding no. this off season because I really do think that if you just scored more, it wouldn't have been such a problem. Mm-hmm. It might have been annoying or embarrassing, but it wouldn't have been a problem. It would have been wouldn't have been devastating. So I think that they addressed the biggest, they identified and addressed the biggest deficiencies that I saw, and. For that reason, I think that we're in line for an unbelievable year. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm incredibly excited, and we'll get to that very shortly when we get to record and seating predictions and all that. But, Carter, at your core, you are an angsty man, at least in comparison to me. Oh, baby, What I is angst. your biggest source of angst heading into this season? Um, I worry that this team is not going to be able to guard. Um, at a when they're at the end of games, when they're playing Max Struess at the three, I am worried that they, that a big part of their identity has been that Evan Mobley will come help and the Jared Allen's there to help the helper. And how does that change when you don't have Isaac Okoro out there guarding the main, the main threat or Karis LeVert even guarding the main threat. And instead you go, Okay, it's got to be Mobley. Tatum is cooking Struess. We got to go throw Mobley out there. And how does that change the shape of your defense? How does that change the identity of your defense? I I worry that we've put a lot of eggs in the rim protection basket, and in the regular season, it's going to work really well because you're just going to play straight up. You're going to stick to your fundamentals. You're going to uh, maybe give up some shots over the top, but like, the shell of your defense will be good. And then as you as you get through a post, you know, a couple rounds of the postseason, the quality bar will raise so high that your fundamentals aren't good enough. And then they won't have enough of a curveball on defense. I think they've added, you know, you've used the fastball analogy a lot on offense that they didn't have a lot of off speed stuff. They had one thing that they were really good at, and everything else just didn't really work. I, I worry that they might be going into that on the defensive end this season. Mm-hmm. where being a little small on the perimeter and with a, a marginal lack of foot speed on the perimeter, they it's just that's my number one angst about this this team, which is funny because if you had came to me and said at, at the beginning of the offseason, hey, you're going to feel awesome about the offense, but the defense is going to scare you. Like I, I still make that trade 
um, because you don't just get to spawn in a three and D wing that can also uh, create out of the pick and roll <laughs> like that. You know, like you just like you don't just get to do that most of the time in this league. So like, I, I, I don't still know. Think I they... think was uh, initiating about the break. We might we might that's have fair. That. That's fair. Um, but yeah, I think this team made all the choices I would have made. But like those choices always have. There's always a Yang to go to the Yen, and that is probably my biggest angst going into the year. Yeah, it, it'll be really interesting. I, I think similar to the rebounding a lot of this is going to come on the individual players, right? Like they, they are not static commodities. It's one of the things we like to talk about on the podcast, but like when it comes to rebounding, they're just going to need to get better. Mobley and Allen's going to need to get better. Struis is, is hopefully going to help contribute. Isaac Okoro talked about how that's one of the points of emphasis that he wanted to go out there and be a better rebounder. And you look at the preseason stats per 36 minutes, he was averaging 14 points, six rebounds, six assists. Like that's the kind of box score production you want, even if he's just getting 21 minutes per game. But uh, we talked about it with Darius and Donovan, right? Like there's going to be less of an offensive burden on those guys. And Darius has stepped up as a defensive player, but can he take another step forward now that he's added strength? Can Donovan show what he showed in flashes and, and kind of lock in on the defensive end and, and contribute in those ways if the answer is yes but only to a certain degree then it uh the question shifts to what does jb do from a rotation standpoint right like okay this is working over the majority of the game but when it really comes down to it or if we're in a seven game series where you know it's punch counter punch and, and figuring out those kind of small adjustments do you close with okoro at the three because you know we, we we're protecting a lead do you uh, do you go to even a smaller lineup where it's a Coro, Struess, and Mobley as your front court? Just because we we trust the defensive ability of Evan Mobley, he's a defensive player of the year caliber guy, and we think by improving the point of attack defense and having that guy in Okoro that that's a primary guy on the primary initiator, everybody else can help by staying in position and do enough in those instances, right? So it's going to come down first to what they can do individually. And then if it's good, but not enough, what type of adjustments and what levers do does JB Bickerstaff pull in those instances? Absolutely, buddy. What's got you the most angsty? Carter, I'm going to bear my soul a little bit here. It is the fact that Evan Mobley is 22 years old. And I really liked what I saw from Evan Mobley in preseason. I feel like he is more assertive and he is more aggressive. Uh, one of the things that I felt was even in the next series, if he just did what he did in the regular season, it would have changed the the complexion of that series. And I, I think you can certainly like, you know, very young player in the first playoff series. It's understandable what happened there. But when we like talk about this season in the discord, People said, okay, what do you predict for Mobley stat line? And and my instinct was to go 18, 10, and 3. And then I look back at the Kendrick Perkins comments about where is Evan Mobley? I lost that drop. I'm sorry, buddy. I should have had it ready. And it was 38 games, the final 38 games of the season. And Mobley averaged over 18 points per game, 9.2 rebounds, 2.9 assists on a 59 true shooting percentage. So... Am I predicting that Evan Mobley is going to have basically the, the same kind of stat line for the season? And why is my expectation so low when I think he's going to take a step forward? And I don't know if it's just because, you know, he's 22 years old and he's still probably five years away from his prime as a player. And maybe this is a way of me trying to fight expectations when it comes to the Cavs, right? Where it's like, Man, like it, we 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 hear feedback all the time, right? When when the Cavs lose, it hurts us, and we feel that hurt from the fans and listeners as well. I don't know if I'm like per handling Evan Mobley with kid gloves because I do think he's going to take a step forward, but it just he's already far ahead of my expectations for where he was going to be as a player at this point, and so much rides on him. I'm just like I I just feel uneasy about putting that much pressure on him. And like, I, I just don't know. Like, I, I don't know what that step forward is going to look like. I know everyone focuses just on the I only need you way to get could... a take out here, buddy. I need, I need a little. I, you, I think you there is a gonna... take here. I think the take. Uh, okay, here's the take. I don't think the three point shot's going to be there for Evan Mobley this year. I'm more interested about the 18 footer. Uh, I, I think he can have that, but I just am worried that 
the cart is going to be put ahead of the horse when it comes to Evan Mobley and the expectations this year. And that growth he's going to show is going to occur more throughout the regular season of him being aggressive and trying to see what works and doesn't work more than, oh, an off-season switch has been flipped. And I, I, I just don't know. I, I think my biggest source of angst is we are putting so much of this season on a 22-year-old in, in Evan Mobley. I, I, I'm going to yes and that and go a little further and say, I'm a little worried that our unicorn uh, talent seems to have so many uh, fellow unicorns in the league. <laughs> like That's not that a seems- source of angst. That is not a source of angst because I watch Wemby and that guy is a freak. Actually, hey, I'm going to steal from Bomani Jones here. We're, we're not calling him Wemby. That's too lazy. Let's at least call him Big Vic. That guy is like nothing I've ever seen before. And my reaction to watching that and watching guys like Chet Holmgren and all these other freaks that, that, that come in that are probably more developed offensively than Mobley is thank God we have Evan Mobley to defend sure. these guys because that right there is the damn future of the NBA. Sure. It, it's a double-edged or it's a double-edged sword because yes, Mobley does feel tailor-made to guard these guys. But like when we were at the the peak of Evan's like of excitement about Evan. And, and this wasn't just us. There's people around the league were saying, this guy might be a top five player. This guy might be a top 10 player. And when you see guys that are even bigger than him, that have already developed skill sets, you're kind of like losing a little off the top there with him, where it's like, he is there to help negate, not to take you over the top mm-hmm. uh, comparatively. So I think in a way, Part of me wonders if it is just going to have to be more of a collective uh, effort. Mm-hmm. Um, if this team wants to get to like a title contention level, it's going to have to require it. It's I don't think looking at the landscape of these of these super freak aliens coming into the league that it's just going to be Mobley is going to be the reason we're a title contender. Like I, I think it's going to have to be more of like an O four Pistons type of thing where we might not have a top five player. But we got full. We got three or four top twenty, top eighteen players, and I'll, I'll push that back just a me little. a little bit because that's harder to win that way. It, it is harder to win that way, but I will push back a bit because, like Mobley, already being an eighteen, ten, and three guy that that's a defensive player a year, like that type of player is a top five player. Like in my eyes, like if the the polish comes and he does this more consistently in every single kind of setting. He's that caliber of guy. It, it It's more like it to, you know, pull from history for analogy. I, I do think it's a little bit like we have Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett comes in where it's just like, oh, my God, like the coordination, what he can do offensively, that that sort of thing. Like, you, you know, like you it's impossible to not have those kind of comparisons. But I think that Mobley's a, the type of guy that can be the best player on a championship team or the most impactful player on, on a championship team. And, you know, like the fact that he's in the mold of a guy that is one of my favorite players in the league in Bam Adebayo, like having a Bam Adebayo that's seven feet tall instead of six, nine is a big, big difference. And what he can already do at this age is so advanced. So if we're talking about like a season prediction stat line for him, I, I'm going to have to bump it up a little bit. Like I'll, I'll say, you know, 19, 10 and four. If he's a 19, 10, and 4 guy on a true shooting percentage of over 60% and the mid-range game is there, like that's the type of player that completely changes the complexion of what this team is and puts them into that championship contender conversation. Like I, I think we are on that fringe this season. I get where you're coming from. It might not be as sexy as some of the other situations. You know, uh, let, let, let me say it this way. I think that prior to you know, two year, you know, maybe a year and a half, two years ago, you kind of looked at Mobley and you go, man, when this current generation ages out, when the Giannis's get a little old, get a little long in the tooth, this league is going to be his. And it's like, you look at these chats, you look at these Wimbies, you look at all, you know, uh, these top prospects, you, you kind of remember the pipeline doesn't shut off just because we got our guy, yeah. you know? And like, but he's going like, to have to, to the burden is on him to be great. You know, I love to toot my own horn, so I'm going to do so here. That was part of my reasoning when it came to Evan Mobley and talking about him 
particularly at being at the power forward position, because I talked about, you know, the big ones that were already in the league. And I said, you know, guys like Chad Holmgren, uh, Vic, like all these guys are going to be coming in the league and they're primarily going to be playing as fours. And this is the way it's going. You do not want to go to war in the next edition of the NBA without a Kaiju on your team. And we got one in Evan Mobley and we've got guys that we know work really well with him. I'm really happy that we got Evan Mobley. I'm very I'm, I'm happy thr- to have Evan yeah. Mobley. Do not get me wrong on that front. No, and I'm not implying that you're not, but I I understand where you're coming from. I mean, watching how small Vic made Andrew Wiggins look was horrifying to me. Like that. Yep. He blocked the three point shot from so far away. Like it's something that doesn't make sense to me. Um, but you know, like I I do think when it comes to Evan Mobley and what we need from him this year. The fact that we already have that sample size, like we have that back half of the year where he was that type of player. To me, it reminds me so much of Darius when he started to put it together, the back half of his age 22 season, I I believe um, prior to, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the winning season where we lost in the play and that to me was a positive indicator that this was coming. And when I see Evan Mobley taking it to one of the best defenders in the league in Miles Turner, and, and you know, Turner got his blocks and, and had his own, but Mobley won the battle more than he lost it. To me, the the assertiveness there, the way that he's handling the ball, how much more confident he seems, how much quicker the processing speed is, those are all positive indicators to me. It's just how uneasy I feel about, you know, Everything works if Mobley is that guy, and that's so much pressure to put on his shoulders. But uh, to give a shout out to our buddy Chris Fedor uh, on the Wine and Gold podcast, uh, one of the things he talked about was when it comes to Evan Mobley and the comparisons that the organization puts on his shoulders, the, the type of players that they talk about him as being you know, of that same ilk, they wouldn't do that if they thought, hey, this is someone that doesn't really want pressure put on his shoulders. This is someone that, you know what? For the good of his development, like let, let's you know, kind of soften the expectations. Mobley is someone that likes those expectations, is competitive, rises to the occasion, and I'm really excited about what that means. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming. And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Absolutely, buddy. What is your Cavs record prediction? And where do you think they're going to finish in the Eastern Conference? I'm going to go first just in case if you steal my thunder. I'm scared of you. Um, I'm going 56 wins and the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Speaking of pressure and expectations, number one seed in the Eastern Conference, 56 wins. I feel great about it. Uh, if you ask me to do a power rankings, we, we put the pressure on all of our guests from other teams this year uh, to both do seedings predictions as well as power rankings. I would have the Cavs third behind Boston and Milwaukee. I have them you know, a, a tier or half tier above the Cavs, but when it comes to the regular season, I think Cleveland will have the best record in the Eastern Conference. Carter, your thoughts? Uh, I am going to one-up you, buddy. 58 wins Ah! in the one seed. Ah! And and I'm flirting with 60 in my head. I think this team is so built to be a regular season powerhouse. They have all the indicators of a team that should be a regular season powerhouse. They were second in the league in net rating last year with a very flawed roster construction, a very outdated roster construction with only two elite shooters to go around who happen to be your on-ball creators. They are young. They don't have any old players in their rotation. I think Yang is the oldest in their rotation uh, right now. They don't have any young players in their rotation. They're not playing a single player in their first or second year in the league in their core rotation right now. Okay. They have they are experienced. They are battle-tested. They need to have a great regular season, which really matters because they really should be doing all they can to get home court and to avoid early matchups with Boston or Milwaukee in the postseason. Uh, they, there are just all the indicators there that that tell me 
that they should be an elite, elite, elite regular season team. Um, I, 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 obviously health is a major contributing factor here, but I just think this team is better equipped than their peers in the league. The Nuggets are coming off a title. They, they very rarely does a team win a title and go lock up the one over the the one seed. You look at Boston. That they're, they're a team that is depending on. Uh, a big man who is very near the end of his career and a famously injured big man. And they're really 60, maybe seven. If you're a big Peyton Pritchard fan, mm-hmm. they're not particularly well built to, to handle uh, big injuries. You look at Milwaukee. I don't see any world in which Milwaukee is particularly concerned about their, their seed in the, in the, in, in the regular season. Yeah. Like they're just going to be trying to solve problems and be playoffs ready. New coaching staff, uh, you know, the departure of Terry Stotts was, it was a big surprise there who was uh, their their offensive coordinator and, and in charge of installing that. Like there's there's a lot of adjustments that's going to take time. And Dame, Brooke Lopez, like those are guys that, that have missed time historically as well. Yeah. So like I just feel like all the all the tea leaves are telling me that this team should be an elite regular season team. Yep. Um, uh, I don't think that I think they're a team that has all that just is built for it i think their deficiencies could still very much pop up in the postseason yep you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't dare predict more than one postseason round win um right now because i think they have so I, much to prove i i will but, say if if they get the one seed i feel more confident about predicting you know potentially uh going beyond that Sure, but like even then, I think there's a non-zero chance Milwaukee or Boston slips to four just because no, some other team tryhards more than them. That's a great you know, point. like I just I, I think you do you the best to control what you can control and shoot for the one seed because you you just don't have the top end talent that Boston and Milwaukee has. You just don't. So you, you're gonna have to do everything in your control to get there. I think this team is self aware enough to know that, and I think they're gonna shoot for it. I, I think that's fair. I hate that you one up me uh, with win total, so I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, raise the stakes just once again. There is a 51 team, 51 win team that lost in the first round that I would like to compare the Cleveland Cavaliers to. That is the Golden State Warriors of 2013-2014. Uh, they won 51 games. They lost in the first round. And the next year, they went on to win the NBA championship. And I, I think the Cleveland Cavaliers are kind of at the same stage of their buildup where they would need lucky breaks. You look at the Warriors, all four rounds, the starting point guard of the opposing team got injured. Um, obviously, you know, Kevin Love gets hurt, and, and that kind of helped them overcome. But obviously, one of the biggest changes for the Warriors was they did have the coaching stage, uh, change from Mark Jackson to Steve Kerr. The Cavs made the stylistic and system changes, at least in the preseason, it looks like that we wanted to see from them without doing that, which I think sometimes gets overlooked as even a possibility when it comes to the team. And obviously there's going to be questions for J.B. Bickerstaff. There's going to be questions for this core of how they'll handle in the playoffs. But I think that they're that kind of, you know, fringe contender where if everything clicks and they get the lucky breaks they need, they can be in that mix to make a conference finals, to, to make a finals. I don't know. Like, if they got lucky and they did make the finals, I don't think that they would beat whoever comes out of the Western Conference because there's just teams that are so much more experienced. Um, my goal is to win around, but I do think, you know, for a team that had the top defense in the league and the seventh best offense last season, they have a chance to be top five offensively and defensively. And when you're that good, you are in that hey. mix. I'll go. I'll go one step further. They should have a top five offense and defense in the regular season. I agree. And, like, and by the way, healthy, if they're yeah. going to win fifty eight games, they'd better. Yeah, <laughs> that would likely be part of the equation. The, the, the road to fifty eight does not uh, does not uh, feature a a twelfth overall defense. Yeah, and, and you know what? Like when when I look at Mobley stat lines and, and trying to you know handle this team with kid gloves at times, like. This is this is the other side of it. Like we whether no matter what we say on the podcast, expectations are here. The pressure is here. Teams are going to covet our players because Darius, Donovan, Mobley, Allen, all these guys have contributed to winning in a major way. And when players individually are, that are winners that move the needle that make you good, if they don't work collectively, every team is going to try come calling and and take advantage of that and 
this is the pressure of, of building a team with real expectations. So for me, goal for this season is bare minimum win a round of the playoffs. And, you know, depending on what you do in, in the regular season, you're going to position yourself for a success beyond that. Yeah, buddy. I'm really, really excited. I think it's going to be a really fun year. Um, I, I beg, I beg the fans of this team not to do the it doesn't matter till the postseason thing. Um, because even if it's true, it's not fun. It doesn't matter. Like, this is a spot, I, I, I beg you, fan base, this is a spot where being right is not as fun as just choosing to have fun. Mm-hmm. Like, even if the if the Cavs do everything we say and then have a horrible playoffs again, um, I guarantee you I'm gonna have a more fun year than you. Dude, dude do you know and how like, fun this is a hobby, is? Guys. Do you know how great the, like the NBA is at an awesome point? The talent is so high. Individual games are are so great. Like this is so much fun. It'd be like sitting in a movie, like sitting in a comedy, being like, you know what? I don't know if I can laugh at these jokes until I see if they kind of bring it all home at the end of this movie. I'll I'll, I'll save my enjoyment until the end. Do do you finish it properly? If so, I will hold my chuckles and, and my ahas. Yeah, that's I, I don't want to tell you guys how to fan live your life do whatever you want but like i t- i'm telling you this team's gonna win a lot of games in the regular season if if we're right about these things and i plan to have a great time after every one of those wins i thought jj reddick made a great point uh with, with zach Lowe today in a season preview podcast where he's like you know regular season wins may not matter but there's a lot you can learn from the regular season like what happens in the regular season matters and that's one of the things we've talked about as much as we're talking about like the win total for the Cavs, we want to see them experiment we want to see them get weird we want to see them try stuff and do things that set lay a foundation for having the ability to be versatile to play different styles in, in, in the playoffs so you know Game one, step one starts uh, in Brooklyn. I'm excited about it. I'm a little nervous. Of course, we start the season with three games in four days. I can't believe uh, it. And then a back-to-back. It's a, it's ridiculous. It, it, it's absolutely insane. Uh, makes me uneasy, especially if Jared Allen's going to miss time because, you know, that is going to make it harder. Uh, these are competitive teams that they're going to be playing with right away. So we'll, we'll see how they respond. They responded last year to, to Darius missing time. And frankly, they, they responded to Darius missing time two seasons ago. I don't know why we are cursing this way, Carter. Uh, a lot of Brooklyn slander out of you uh, over, over the last, you know, six months. So uh, yeah, if, if all we right, lose, let's, it's Let's on get you, into buddy. that. Let's get into that. Let's do a brief Brooklyn Nets preview. It's, you know, it's season preview. We can go a little bit long, Carter. I'm, I'm sorry. What are you interested in when it comes to the Brooklyn game? Because to me, I will give them credit because I think that Nick Claxton is a top five defensive player in the NBA, giving credit to him there. And I'm interested to see if the Cavs are able to maintain their pace and kind of the the changes that we saw in the preseason against a very good defensive team in Brooklyn. That is my uh, kind of area of interest heading into this game. What what, what are you looking forward to? Length and strength. How are you going to deal with it? This, This Brooklyn team is enormous. They're playing a six six two guard and a six ten one guard. Uh, they're uh, they, they're going to be switchy. They're going to be fast. They're going to. Uh, I think they're going to attack the Cavs on the offensive boards. And I I want to see how you know. Speaking to one of my angst points, I, I want to see how this team handles a team that is bigger than longer than them, especially on the perimeter. Um. I think that they should be able to handle them pretty well defensively um, if they just kind of hold their shell, you know, let Bridges take some mid-rangers and, you know, hope they don't go in. But, like, if they are getting beat up, if they're getting, uh, if if the Nets are jumping passing lanes on them and getting out with easy transition buckets where that length really kind of shows its strength, I think that's that that's what I want to see the Cavs kind of answer to uh and uh we'll see if they can do it yeah it's going to be really interesting I, I think that ties into one of the things that i really want to see this season which we haven't got to is do the Cavs change their style of play based on opponent or do they dictate the terms of how the game's going to be played and that was one of the things that i thought they got away from in that series against the new york knicks and i think you know if we're talking about a team that's going to be a top five offense and defense they need to dictate the style of play they need to impose their will on an opposition and 
Brooklyn is a great first test for that. So we will be going live after the Nets game. I, I don't even want to ask you for, for a prediction there. There's no way either of us are not picking the Cavs in the season opener. But that would be absurd. Uh, so we will be going live after that game. Big thanks to everyone that tuned in live on YouTube. Make sure you like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast and you want to support us, leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of the Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of the review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us. We really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cats. <laughs>